In this episode of Tech Transformation, we're talking about innovating. We're talking with Seth Goldman, co-founder of Eat the Change, Honest Tea, and Plant Burger, about the differences of innovating in a startup versus a giant company. We're talking about what it's like trying to balance conscious consumption with making a profit in the food space. And we're talking about greenwashing in the consumer goods industry. Stay tuned for that and more on this episode of Tech Transformation. Welcome to Tech Transformation with CGT and RIS News, where we explore the innovative tech strategies and trends in retail and consumer goods. I'm Lisa Johnson, Senior Editor at CGT, and in this episode, I'm talking with Seth Goldman, co-founder of Eat the Change. Now, Eat the Change is a food company that's focused on helping consumers make conscious choices. And before he founded Eat the Change, he was also co-founder of Honest Tea and chair of the board of Beyond Meat. So he's here today to not only tell us about his latest venture, but to talk about what it's like balancing conscious consumption with making a profit in the food space. So Seth, welcome. Thanks so much for talking with me today. Get us started. Tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Eat the Change. Sure. Great to be with you, Lisa. And uh, I started Honest Tea 24 years ago, so I've been at this for a while now. And uh, while you know we've seen some success in terms of the businesses and the brands, there's a lot of work still to do around the impact and the transformation that needs to happen in our food system. So I'm still very much in the trenches. And uh, just last week, I was in a 10 by 10 booth over at uh, California at Natural Product Expo. So starting from scratch again, but trying to build a new enterprise to help consumers really opt for planet-friendly choices. And, and the one other aspect of work that I'm involved in is I'm also co-founder of Plant Burger, which is a chain of 10 uh, restaurants, uh, plant-based restaurants uh, focused in the Northeast right now. So... Um, can you tell us a little bit about why, you know, why did you ultimately leave Honest Tea? Well, uh, you know, I really work focused on scaling Honest Tea, bringing it to national um, platform. And so, you know, we sold Honest Tea in 2011, but I stayed on through 2019. And uh, I started to get that entrepreneurial itch. I was ready to start something new. And uh, we really did bring Honest Tea to, I think, its, its full potential um, national brand. Our Honest Kids line was, is still carried in, you know, major restaurants like McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, Subway, um, Wendy's, and Arby's. And then we also had launched internationally. So a lot of the goals that I had uh, really came to fruition. And um, I was ready to get back in the trenches and build something new. So in that, you know, theme of being back in the trenches, what is it like being back in a more entrepreneurial role? Yeah, well, it is, you know, it, it, people say, well, you've been doing this while you should have more confidence and I do, but there's still something frightening about it, right? By definition, when you're doing something that hasn't been done, you should feel a little scared a little and you know, a little bit of worry and lose a little sleep or, or a lot of sleep. And so, um, but I really enjoy that. I know that may sound masochistic, but it's really that fun feeling of adventure and challenge. And, you know, um, I think one of the things that's really characterized all the brands I've been part of is a, is a challenger mindset. And this idea that you're going up against, um, you know, sometimes that you're going up against changing consumer behavior or you're going up against much larger competitors, but that challenger mindset is really fundamental to all the things I do. And, and it's not hard to have a challenger mindset when you are, 
a startup. So it's funny you talk about that that fear. You know, there's definitely that that moment when you're doing something new, right? And you're like, oh man, why did I do this? Right? What you know, what have I gotten myself into? Did I make a mistake? Um, so, but if hindsight's twenty twenty, you know, what are you? How are you using the learning? Yeah, oh, there's honesty, a ton of learning right that applied all along the way. I mean, especially you know, last year during such a challenging um, time for supply chains, and so you know. It, Part of it is you have to recognize the environment, and yeah, you know, during an epidemic, you're just or pandemic, you're not going to get the same responsiveness um, when you when you need it. So having a little bit more maturity to not panic and say, okay, well, you know, we may have to push this order back a, a day or a week because of the issues. So that helped, but also understanding what are the things we will do well and we won't, and. Six of the longest years we had at Honest Tea were when we owned a portion of a bottling plant. And so when you run into production issues, the temptation may be, well, we should just go buy <laughs> the facility. It's like, no, that's not the answer. It's, it's you know, develop great partnerships and, and then help your partners work through the issues. At least for us, that it was, the answer was not to go buy our own sure. uh, production facility. You've talked in the past and you mentioned, you know, how important it was when you launched a kid's version of Honest Tea. Um, it was called Honest Kids. Uh, it's you know, found in McDonald's. So do you see, can you tell us a little bit about the background on that, how that came to be? And then, you know, do you see a similar path for Eat the Change? Sure. Yeah. So um, we were about six, seven years into honesty growing and I have three sons and uh, my middle son is always asking good questions. And so one, one day as I middle was child putting, syndrome, I was putting um, food in his lunchbox and he said, Hey, Dad, how come you're selling these really healthy drinks to grown-ups, but you're putting really sugary drinks in my lunchbox? And I think I was doing what a lot of parents were doing. I wasn't thinking about it, and I was just buying whatever drink was basically on sale um, in the grocery store. And then I looked at the pouch drink, uh, drink pouch I was putting in my kid's lunchbox, and I realized there was more calories per ounce than there is in a can of soda. And that's what I was putting in my kid's lunchbox. So I realized, oh my gosh, we just haven't been thinking about this. We've got to uh, find a solution. And of course, Honest Tea was already um, a less sweet drink. So the first solution was for my son to start bringing bottles of Honest Tea to school. But he was a little guy and um, he would sort of come home with a half-consumed bottle. And um, we said, well, we need a smaller portion size. And then I said, no, what we really need to do is go after those drink pouches and make a healthier version. So Honest Kids came out as a 40-calorie drink in a category where everyone was selling 100-calorie drinks. And we were we would sweeten it only with fruit juice as opposed to sugar or high-fructose corn syrup. And so Honest Kids really grabbed uh, a significant market share and, and, and in a way kind of reset the shelves. We saw all of the competitors, and this is very much true today, if you go to the beverage shelf for kids drinks, you'll see that the average calorie profile is maybe not even 80, maybe 60, uh, and that there is a lot less um, calories and sugar in those drinks. And so um, we knew for Eat the Change right away that when we launched this business, our first product line was a snack uh, for, for adults. It was a mushroom snack. We weren't going to try to sell that to kids. But I did start that quest. And in fact, when I was at Honest Tea, and I mentioned the, the restaurants we launched Honest Kids with, and several of those restaurants had asked me, can you create an Honest Kids snack, which is basically a, you know, a, a version of what you do with Honest Kids, a healthier snack that we could offer 
you know, if, if a customer didn't want French fries for their kid, what would be an honest kid snack? And so the exploration we did at that time was, could we make a less sweet fruit snack? You know, if the fruit snack category is at 80, could we make one with 70 or even 60 calories? And so we, we had explored it. We didn't bring it to, to market. Um, but when I got to eat the change and we started selling um, both environmentally or planet-friendly snacks and chef-crafted snacks, uh, I knew fruit snacks was kind of a dead end, partially, mostly because there's no fruit in them. They're called fruit snacks, but they're really, um, you know, they're maybe sweetened with fruit juice, but usually the first ingredient is either tapioca syrup or hyperfructose corn syrup. It's just, these are, it's one of the worst or most um, inaccurately named products out there. And so instead of um, leaning into fruit snacks, I said, well, what if we could change the dynamic on that shelf? And I, um, my partner, Spike Mendelson, who's my co-founder and a brilliant chef, started um, playing around in the kitchen. And the first direction he went was to explore a carrot chip. Could we make a, a carrot version of a potato chip? And we couldn't quite get the right crispness or the right cost structure. So then he moved in a different direction. We had a bunch of carrots that had gotten delivered to the office and we have a, a no food waste policy in the office. So he's like, well, I can, I can make soup. I said, yeah, but that's not going to really be a, you know, uh, I don't see that thing. Super exciting to kids. So yeah. um, then he tried taking the carrots and putting them in the same marinade we used to make our mushroom jerky. And while the taste was a little off, it did create an interesting texture. And I said, but that texture is interesting because in a lot of ways, that's the same texture as a, a fruit chew. Um, and then we played around a bit more and we realized if we soaked the carrots in um, apple juice, we could um, break down the cell walls a bit and make them chewy and then, and then impart some flavor to them as well. And so we just launched this product line. I can show you actually a, a box of it here called Cosmic Perfect. Carrot Chews. And it is a um, organic kid snack that is nutrient dense. It is a full serving of carrots per pouch. Um, and um, so we're really excited to bring that to market. and. Um, so far, I've gotten a great response to it. What's been the feedback so far? So far, the uh, response has been great. We were just out at Expo West in Anaheim, and, and um, you know, buyers hadn't seen anything like it. There really is not a vegetable-based snack for kids. And of course, when you can make it nutrient-dense, um, you know, that's just a, a really compelling proposition, not to mention organic. And then from an environmental perspective, carrots are one of the most water-efficient crops there are. So we're really excited about you know, the fact that it has a low environmental footprint, small environmental footprint. And then even from a nutrition perspective, so of course carrots are, are nutrient-dense, a lot of vitamin A and beta-carotene. But what's interesting is carrots are one of the few crops where when you slightly cook them, you, they actually increase their bioavailability. They're more nutritious, slightly cooked than they are raw. And so um, that feels good to be able to um, present that kind of product uh, for a parent to give to a kid instead of these fruit chews, which are, you know, nutritionally empty. And so those who are listening right now, they can't see the packaging, of course, but um, the video, the people who are watching the video can see, it, but it's, it's very vibrant. You know, you spent a lot of time on the packaging. So when you were approaching, you know, since it's a kid's product, did you give the same level of detail to say the mushroom jerky, or did you know going to this one, no, you know, we really need to pay more attention to the design of, of the packaging? Oh, well, we pay attention to design all the time. It's such a critical piece. Branding and, and packaging are actually just as, just as important as the formulation on these things because unless, you know, uh, the consumer wants, you know, reaches out and sees it, um, it's not going to buy it. We are, as a startup, we don't have 
the advertising dollars to be out there, you know, drawing people's attention to it. So the package has to work really hard. The name has to work really hard. And, uh, and then we have to work really hard with our retailers to help them draw attention to it. You know, we can't just put it on the shelf and assume people will, will come to it. So, um, and, and so far the retailers understand that and have been great partners around that. And yeah, we, we, we played on the fact that carrots, a carrot actually looks like a rocket chip. So, you know, the carrots taking off, we, um, chose fun names like orange mango moonbeam and sour cherry berry blast off, um, and just made these fun and, I also will say, you know, we, we found a way to make these um, gender neutral. You know, these aren't a boys or kids product. This is hopefully something all kids can get excited about. So you're focusing on two innovation approaches. Um, is redoing food, which is using science and culinary art to recreate a category. And then there's undoing food, which emphasizes transparency and simplicity in recipes. So can you talk a little bit about the difference, um, you know, where you see it's required for brands to be successful and where the cosmic carrot shoes fit within these approaches? Sure. Yeah. So um, the, the redoing food approaches is one that's employed by Beyond Meat, where we'll look at a category uh, and basically, you know, what Beyond Meat did is change the question. So normally the question, people say, what is meat? And the answer is, uh, well, it's protein from an animal. But at Beyond Meat, they changed the answer and said, well, meat is just an assembly of amino acids that form the proteins and lipids that form the fat, 70% water, and then some trace minerals and carbohydrates. And so what you can, if you want to redo meat, all you need to do is take those same amino acids and fats and stitch them together in a way that replicates the taste and texture of meat. And so you can redo a category. You can create meat. It is, it is meat by all definitions or by many definitions. And um, nutritionally, you can actually improve on it. You could eliminate cholesterol. You could re reduce saturated fat. You could introduce other components. And so you'll see redoing of foods, both in the meat category for sure, but also in dairy uh, and milks and cheeses and even eggs. So that's one approach. And it's certainly something that's resonating with a lot of consumers and the retailers. The one we employ at Eat the Change is much more... Uh, much closer to undoing of food. And it's the same playbook that we used at Honest Tea, where you're stripping down the ingredient deck, simple ingredients with transparent or you know, supply chains like organic or fair trade. Um, and then you are serving whole foods in different forms. So of course, mushrooms are on the market. They've been on the market for centuries, you could say, uh, but they haven't been served um, wood smoked and, and you know, uh, marinated like we've done it with our mushroom jerky. And of course, carrots have been around for a very long time, but they haven't been served um, in this chewable form um, and in a way that imparts extra flavor and texture. And so we're, we're finding um, novel ways to use known ingredients. And, and so that can be an undoing of, of food as well. There's still room for innovation in the undoing approach. You know, when I say undoing of food, it doesn't just mean we're selling you know, raw vegetables. <laughs> So I want to talk about greenwashing. Um, you know, greenwashing is certainly a big problem, not just in consumer goods, um, but it is certainly a problem in consumer goods. So how can, in your view, how can CPG companies, especially the larger ones, um, or maybe not even especially the larger ones, how can all CPG companies balance greenwashing with the value of achieving incremental progress? Well, I place a lot of emphasis on third-party verification and certification. And so... 
you know, um, Honest Tea, when we did our deal with Coca-Cola, there were questions raised, oh, you guys are selling out, you're going to compromise what you stand for. And, and, and as far as I've seen, there hasn't been any claim that Honest Tea has done that. And one of the reasons is that, you know, everything, every claim Honest Tea made was third-party verified. So the organic certification, that's a USDA-backed seal. The fair trade certification is a third-party verification that we use to make sure all the wages are we're paying our, the people in the supply chain um, are, are uh, meeting a living wage standard and a portion of the sales goes back to those communities for them to invest. And so that those verifications are, re- are critically important. And, uh, you know, we certainly did, made the decision to invest in them along the way. And, and we're doing the same at Eat the Change. Um, now, most of our crops uh, ingredients are sourced in the United States, so it's not we have a fair trade certification, but we are now um, taking the steps around, for example, the water footprint. And we'll measure that and we can share that kind of information as well. So I have kind of an extension of that question. Um, Can you talk about what it's like, you know, both the challenges and the importance of balancing conscious consumption with operating and generating profits in the food space? You know, they certainly don't always work in tandem. Um, and since this is also a tech transformation, you know, I'm curious to get your take, um, you know, maybe it's certifications, maybe beyond certifications, but do you see technology being able to help with this? Well, um, you know, I, I think uh, I, I actually don't lose much sleep over these choices. So, for example, you know, um, we, our packaging is not recyclable. Uh, we actually started our mushroom pouches with recyclable pouches and um, it costs more and people weren't recycling them. And so, um, you know, you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, other jerky pouches aren't recyclable either. So, you know, if we're going to make help people make a switch of behavior, uh, we can't stretch them too far. We can't go say, oh, well, we're going to go sell all our mushroom jerky in bulk and expect people to bring in their own bags. Like, no, we've got to be on the shelf competing, you know, in the same plane as our other, as the analogs that we're going after. And, and the same with the kids' product as well. So, um that said, you know, obviously we pay a lot of attention to what's inside the bag and the pouch, but we're at this point not yet able to um, claim an advantage around the sustainability of our packaging. Um, we have to, and we have to, of course, meet the food safe standard. All those are all the standard reasons. Um, so part of that is, uh, in, in a way, I actually look to the big companies to, to make some steps there, and we will follow them. They have the resources and and the pressure, and of course the you know, so the big companies that are selling less sustainable ingredients, they should at least be working on the packaging. And when they get it right, we'll, we'll follow along. Um, okay, so this is going to air during Earth Month. Um, this episode's going live in April. So I know, um, you know, how is Eat the Change going to recognize? I know you have a few things yeah. planned. Yeah, your Earth Month is kind of our Super Bowl. We, we uh, pull out all the stops. And so we have this wonderful challenge uh, called the Incredible Planet Challenge, and it's all <laughs> available at eatthechange.com. And so the first 21 days of Earth Month, we um, have all these different ways, all these different challenges people can take to move towards a slightly more planet-friendly diet. So the first day is try switching your milk or creamer to planet-based. And then there's ideas around reducing food waste. There's recipes that my co-founder Spike comes up with. Last year, he, he had an idea or he shared a recipe for um, banana peel bacon, which was amazing. Ooh, like, uh, you know, that never, sounds, I would try that. Yeah, you never thought the <laughs> banana peel was even edible, but the way he made it, it was delicious. Um, so um, all these different behaviors, 
really just trying to nudge people, take a small step towards climate-friendly behavior and helping them, illustrating for them what that step represents in terms of climate change. And, you know, uh, and, and we have lots of partners. We work with uh, dozens of different brands on this, as well as chefs and even nonprofits, just trying to educate and raise awareness. And so uh, we hope everyone will join us in uh, moving, you know, eat the change uh, and that, that, that call to action and listen, following that call to action. I will. Uh, so this is the second year you're doing this? Yeah. Have, year. Last it, year was a great, you know, for a brand that was barely on the market, we got a great response and we expect even more this year. That's great. I will try banana peel bacon. <laughs> I'll, I'll make a pledge to that. Um, okay. So we have time for one more question. Um, you know, we like to ask this of, of everyone who comes on Tech Transformation. Can you tell us about an innovative retail experience that you've personally undergone recently, whether in stores or online? Sure. Um, I was in California recently, and um, I, I got the chance to visit something called Vegan Playground. And it was a local beer brewery that found an amazing way to bring together a community. What they did was they basically opened up their parking lot and, and allowed food trucks, in this case, vegan food trucks, to come. And with the vegan food trucks came a whole audience of vegans. There was probably more than a thousand people that came through that parking lot over the course of a night. Obviously, they bought a lot of the beer, but it was just really neat <laughs> to see that. And, and there was a nonprofit partner called Vegan Playground that convened it. But it was impressive that you could basically create a market. Obviously, the marketing was all done online, social, and, and media. And, and um, this ecosystem kind of could move itself and basically within... I mean, we decided the day before to go. I, I think most people, you know, it wasn't like we had planned to go to this for weeks. It just kind of happened. And it was impressive to see that much commerce um, sort of co coagulate and, and, and convene itself and, and uh, just in short notice. It's uh, it's super corny to say it was organic, yes, right? It was organic, organic excitement. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Seth, thanks so much for talking with me today. It's been awesome having you on. I'm, I'm super glad we were able to connect. Great. Um, good luck to you with, with, the, with the Eat the Change Challenge. Thanks. Great to see you, Lisa. Thanks for listening to Tech Transformation with CGT and RIS News. Be sure to subscribe to learn more innovative strategies and trends in the retail and consumer goods industries. And don't forget to visit consumergoods.com and rsnews.com to sign up for our newsletter. Mm -hmm.